we, we touched on accidentally we touched on a great formula which was basically that there was stupid jokes like that there were larger than life characters really larger than life there were slightly cartoonish characters i accept that but there was biting, there was also biting political satire there was stuff that you you literally couldn't get get away with saying in a, in a serious program that we were able to get away with because comedy is a great vehicle for that comedy is a way to, to to disarm people and if you're laughing you know it's very hard to get up and punch somebody if you're laughing you know you have to be a great, quite angry to punch somebody so when you're pissing yourself laughing you go oh, and then you go hey Lama, what the fuck did he say <laughs> hello and welcome back to another episode of interviews I'm your host, Connor Finn. On this week's episode, I was beyond thrilled to chat with Belfast's own sweetheart and one of the funniest people I've ever met. You might know him better as Da. It is, of course, the brilliant Tim McGarry. Tim is an Irish comedian, actor, writer and broadcaster known for his eclectic career in stand-up, hosting BBC's The Blame Game and starring in the award-winning comedy series Give My Head Peace. We chatted about Tim's journey from law to laughter, how Trouble's tension sparked a career in comedy, the hilarious horror stories of performing stand-up gigs, and how after 25 years, he's still trying to give his head some peace. Tim was such a fantastic, generous guest to have on the show, and I just couldn't be more pleased to have got to chat to somebody that I grew up watching on the telly. Um, So yeah, Without further ado, please enjoy this latest episode of Interviews with the brilliant Tim McGarry. And welcome back to another episode of Interviews. This week, I am thrilled to welcome onto the show. It is, of course, the brilliant Tim McGarry. How's it going, Tim? It's going fantastically well. It's a pleasure to be on an interview. Well, that's a really good name. Where did you come up with that? You you took your second name and you had a interview on the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, uh, do you know what? I actually came up with the name first, and then I thought, for that, actually might make a good podcast. Um, I had no intention of doing this beforehand, but Brandon's everything. So <laughs> absolutely fantastic. No pleasure to talk to you, sir. No, it's a pleasure to have you on. But um, first and foremost. We'll kick right off and uh, just as I have to do with everybody, I know I feel like I shouldn't have to do this to you because people should know who you are, Tim. I mean, you're the sweetheart of Belfast, really. Um, But (laughs) tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from and a little bit about your background, maybe why, like what you're known for. (laughs) Sorry, it's like this is hilarious. Okay. No, no, it's all right. Uh, I'm I'm an old man now. Uh, I'm... uh, I'm fit. What age are you? What age you, Connor? Oh, I just turned twelve. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a grand old age. I'm in my mid fifties now. Uh, Tim McGarry, an actor, writer, broadcaster, uh, ex lawyer, um, fairly well known for things like Give My Head Peace, which we I co write and co star in the Blame Game, which I am the chair of, and lots of radio and sketch shows and bits and bobs and stand up and all have all sorts of other things so uh, yeah I've, I've had a, I've had a look, quite a long career in comedy in, in Northern Ireland specialising in Northern Ireland comedy and Northern Ireland politicians for whom I want to give a big shout out and a huge thank you for my career um, 
Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, but that, that's basically it. Yeah, I'm, I'm an old fella from Belfast, uh, from North Belfast. I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm in my mid fifties now, and I can't believe I'm still getting away with it. I've had quite a good career up until this point. By the way, I'll be speaking to my agent after this conversation. But cool. Yeah, no, um, yeah. Does nobody tell you this is where it goes downhill? Like this so, is uh, it. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. If you, you should have checked all the other the rest of the interviews I've had so far. Like they've went to dust. God, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, but that's but that's what you're here for. Do you know what I mean? You're at that stage where you go, you know what? I've done enough now. Right to hang up the cape. Here you go. Full <laughs> circle. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, like I mean, you're offered up pretty succinctly there. Um, that's why I kind of let um the interviewee explain what they do because I've had it a couple of times now where I've tried to explain to a person what they do and they're going. Mm, not quite sure about that so uh <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've let them do the other hard work so it just makes everything much easier for myself as, as i said you know i mean i'm taking everything not really giving anything back and uh that's, that's the right way to go about it yeah that's a that's a secret to a successful career in showbiz <laughs> take 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 that's it <laughs> i mean yeah that's what i'm running with anyways but no yeah as you said like your belfast law like everything that you've kind of done as well like I mean, like, you've been on such, like, iconic shows that, again, you're an actor, writer, comedian, like, part of the Hole in the Wall gang. I actually had one of the Hole in the Wall gang not too long ago on the podcast, Diona Doherty on. Oh, uh, Diona. Ah, yeah. She's yes. great. Oh, yeah. She was saying some horrible things about you. So, um, don't That's worry. That's typical, yeah. Scary ones. You can't trust them. No, <laughs> that, Diona's great. We, we've, uh, she's kind of become part of our gang on the radio show that we do, A Perforated Ulster. And she became, we, we used her a couple of series ago and then she was so good. We went, right, we want her as a permanent member of the, the, the sketch show. And she's just so versatile and so very good and does brilliant stuffers, including the voice of Michelle O'Neill, uh, where she speaks extremely rapidly and her uh, and it's been going down, going down an absolute storm. And Joan is brilliant, you know. I think she'll, she'll go far, that young woman. That's why we got her in the group, so she can look after me in my old age. You know, I can say, Joan, you give me parts when you're when you're mega successful in Hollywood, you know. I can do the part of the very old man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, she's fantastic. Like, But, um, no, she was kind of explaining that she kind of seems to have a bit of a similar background herself, where she would do a lot of acting, you know, comedy, um, writing, things like this, this as well. But for yourself, I think if anybody who knows your work, say like, give him a headpiece. I mean, you're, you're everybody's star at the end of the day. But um, would you kind of like explain to maybe the people that haven't l- like known, like when, actually not even explain to the people that wouldn't know, like just, I'm really curious, when did you first get into comedy and performing? Because I know like, you may have went down another route, but like, was it something you've always gravitated towards or because you were mentioned there, you're a lawyer as well. I mean, is that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I used to be quite a good lawyer, quite a successful lawyer. I'm an expert in sex discrimination and religious discrimination. Uh, and the, and the, uh, but I gave, we gave all that up and became full-time comedians in 1996, which is 24 years ago. So, yeah, I've been full-time at this comedy movement broadcasting malarkey since 1996. But it all started a way, way back. Well, I'm, I'm in a gang, the whole wall gang, with two other fellas, Damon Quinn and Michael McDowell, who I met at university when we, uh, in the early 1980s, we all 
all studied law together. And Damon Quinn actually wrote plays when he was at school and wrote sketches. And we kind of, the three of us gravitated together. Uh, and my, it's, Before that, I had no real background in comedy at all. I loved comedy. I loved my comedy. I remember being a huge fan of things like Faulty Towers. Late 70s, there was a brilliant sketch show called Not the Nine O'Clock News that launched, among others, uh, Griffiths Jones and uh, what do you call him? Mr. Bean. Tell me, help me out, Mr. Bean, uh, uh, the actor. I know, I'm, I'm thinking Blackadder. I know for uh, Ron Atkinson. Blackadder, yeah. Ron Atkinson, thank you very much. Yeah, Ron You're Atkinson. Very uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that was, it was one of the first. Uh, proper satirical uh, TV that, that did uh, did the news and took the piss out of what was happening in the news. And I loved all that sort of stuff, but it wasn't until university when I met Damon and Michael that we kind of it kind of grew. And for a long time, we were kind of dabbling in comedy part-time. We did stage shows and we did bits of radio and stuff, but it wasn't until 1996 that we went full-time. Uh, and it wasn't until 1998 when Give My Head Peace properly started that uh, it kind of took off. Yeah, I'm sure you've been laughing since, really. Like, do you know what I mean? Everything's been working laughing. out. Laughing. It never stops. It's just, <laughs> you know that you've been in this business before. You've worked for a television production company. You know that 99% of it is fighting, with trying to come up with ideas and fighting with producers and fighting with broadcasters to get money. There's only 1% laughter. 99% of it sweat and fucking swearing at, at commissioners and, and trying to be nice to people who you don't really want to be nice to. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, that's fair enough for you to be doing. But I mean, when I was doing it, sure, all they had to do was kick me out the door like um, we're, we're a different kind of platforms, <laughs> but um you know like as you said like you so you start off uh obviously initially you're i mean very successful lawyer but how did it kind of lend itself into as you said this like kind of um like because it's very much like i think your comedy and stuff as well it lands on everything it's very kind of political satire that kind of like topical i mean there's a great term that um when i i studied up in university ulster up in Coleraine, and in our first induction um one of the lectures was kind of explain the area and stuff like this and they're kind of saying about like now guys you're gonna like love it up here blah blah all like this there will be a bit of cozy sectarianism going on and i feel like that's a great term that i've carried through <laughs> with myself and think probably quite like <laughs> applicable to kind of crack and stuff <laughs> cozy yet <That's laughs> sure it's <yeah. laughs> whenever you ask mom and dad like what it was like when they were growing up it's like oh there's just a bit of trouble she'd be like oh civil war yeah i get you yeah just <laughs> <laughs> yeah well cozy sectarian i mean that's that's one of the one of the criticisms of us is that we uh we, we made sectarianism slightly cozy uh i would disagree with that i think we we undermine sectarian attitudes and we we uh, were a voice for people the thing you have to, you're probably far, you're far too young to remember, but there was there was literally no comedy in Northern Ireland from about the mid seventies until the late eighties, early nineties. There was a guy called Jimmy Young who used to do TV shows and stuff, and his catchphrase was "Stop fighting," and he, he was very cross community and he died in 1974 and then there was literally nothing from here about here um, until the likes of Paddy Cutie and ourselves emerged in the mid to late 1980s, literally nothing. Uh, nobody mentioned the war, as it were. Any half-decent comedians, you know, they got on the boat and they went to England. So we were the first people, basically, from here to talk about here in the sort of mid to late 80s. And a lot of that was about, we were talking about what was happening outside our front door and what was in the news. And we filled a gap that really hadn't needed to be filled. You know, nobody was talking about it. And we thought, right, there's scope here for people who are from here and, you know, have a, have a, a bit of an attitude to things. And uh, we were happy to have a go at politicians and paramilitaries and, the, you know, the, the situation as it was and, and see how it goes, you know. It was quite threatening. We were quite worried at the start. Uh, <laughs> 
but in fact, what we were met with was it was a kind of wave of relief that finally people were from here were talking about in, here in a comedy way because it genuinely hadn't been done. There were a few cartoonists and, and a few attempts at, at comedy, but very little mainstream comedy had had dealt with the troubles or, or talked about the issues outside the front door. So we were one of the first to do that. Yeah, like even. It? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's even it as well. Like obviously, I wouldn't have like really known any of the stuff like I 98 like I should have been I was like peace process child essentially like so um I'm actually yeah that's kind of my background as well like I'm proper fucking poster child for him like we half a job on both sides of community uh (laughs) but um no like that's what even when I'd like when growing up dad would have kind of told me about different things and always you know we would have seen news on tv quite a lot like this so it's quite surreal I'm actually chatting to you now about it but he would have kind of explained different ways about like that there wasn't that kind of like humor prevalent like on national kind of like TV and things like this, and people yeah. weren't addressing what was happening on their doorsteps until you know. I think yeah. it. I think you're you you and uh, the rest of the guys as well. Like we're such you know precursors for kind of establishing like you know what like if you want to laugh you cry. Do you know what I mean? It's like tra- yeah. tragedy plus time in this comedy essentially. Like yeah. and uh, the, the other thing as well as well as that was it's also talking your own voice. Talk about what you know and talk about and be honest about what you know. We we started off, we were doing bad Monty Python impressions. We were brought up on Monty Python and all that and the English comedy. So our naturally when we first started off, we were literally doing English accents and, you know, trying to be... And, and we went to the show in Edinburgh and there was a couple of people went and there was, there, was a, there was a very good group of Scottish guys called the Bodgers who came to see our show and said, look, there's actually some very good stuff here. But for fuck's sake, talking your own fucking voices? Why are you pretending to be English? Well, and said some of it was very good and some of the stuff where we had touched local issues, they went, that's, that's the stuff you want to do there. So we kind of regrouped and reorganized and said, yeah, that's a, yeah why don't we talk about, you know, the Sinn Féin and the IRA and Ian Paisley and unionism and the and do it in a way that is, you know, it's going to be accessible to, to, to both sides of the community and all that, but it's going to have a go because that, that hadn't been done before. So we, we finally realised, yeah, talk in your own bloody voice. That's what you're, you're best at and that's where you're the most honest and that's where the, the best comedy is. Yeah. Uh, so we stopped fucking about and do something we weren't, which is a very good lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I suppose even, like, because I know it kind of started off as well when you mentioned about like on radio and stuff like this and it was um on Talkback, wasn't it? They used initially had the kind of like roundup of uh what was going on. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how did that kind of translate then when you brought this say to, you know, BBC where like, right, you've let us do this on radio, but like now we're going to like make it completely like we're going to visualize these characters. Like we're going to make them like, larger than life versions of people that um very much probably will know where you are <laughs> you know that kind of way like people knocking on your door do you know what I mean a couple, couple of balaclavas like on going like uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> well, there, there was there was a genuine worry about that at the time. There was a genuine worry about you know uh, how far can we go here. But the when we did it in front of that sort of material in front of a live audience, there was a huge sense of relief. I got yeah, literally people cheering, going fucking right, have a go at them, you know. Uh, and if you, as long as we had a semblance of fairness that we weren't 
it's purely coming from you know up the provos or you know up the UV, coming from one clear defined side. Uh, we, there was a same that we didn't count the number of anti-Catholic jokes, anti-Protestant jokes, or anything like that. There wasn't artificial. <laughs> oh, like there that. wasn't a tally. <laughs> but there, no, there wasn't a tally. Yeah, uh, but there was there was a semblance of of, of fairness and uh, equality of, of of insults, and that was that was quite important. But uh, to go back, what was your question again? I forget. It was a very very good question. Uh, <laughs> it started. It's <laughs> I do like to remember 1990. Yeah, so you were born in 1998, were you? 98, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, our first, our first, uh, yeah, radio show was uh, yeah in 1990. We started in 1990, and Talkback was the program at the time. And from doing five minutes on Talkback, instead of having 30 or 40 people come to see us in the group theatre, the group theatre suddenly sold out for four nights, um, and it got bigger. So we got a bigger and bigger audience, and it just developed from there. Um, and it just, it was just one of those nights for about four or five years. It just went like that, and the same thing. Was at the same time we were all full-time lawyers. We'd given up university and we're all getting married and having kids and being lawyers. So this was kind of on the side, something we were doing partly to amuse ourselves and partly to make a bit of money. But the, the money uh, part of it wasn't, there wasn't an awful lot of money to be made. But we thought, tell you what, when we give this a go for a couple of years, see, see how it works out. And 24 years later, I'm still fucking at it. I'm still in a fucking gang at the age of 56. We have a meeting in a tree house every week. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about girls and all, yeah. <laughs> 56 is still in a gang. I don't know, I'm not cheesy. Oh, yeah, pro- proper little rascal style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Naughty boys. <laughs> the He-Man woman haters. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's mad. Like, just even that progression of, like, because I think that's what I find one of the most interesting things when um I actually did a bit of research for this. Um, you, you, you'll be you'll be glad to know, uh, but that's when I was kind of looking at kind of past interviews and stuff that you've done, and um just different like articles when you're kind of chatting about this whole you know segment like progression at such a kind of like I mean a very strange time really for everybody to be you know yeah. doing stuff. And you guys kind of brought this whole new voice to the forefront. And it was a voice that everybody was obviously looking for. Um, but I, th- th- that was one of the things that like, even like now, do you know what I mean? There's different kind of things like comedy's completely kind of changed, I think. Not that I like, fucking know really, like, but I'm like, I'm no fucking comedian. But um, like, it was definitely one of the things that like informed a lot kind of from the humour from then. Like even, I remember uh, even in our own house, like when mum, like mum said that, family would be pros and stuff like this but uh, I remember when we'd be going to mass and stuff like uh, dad used to joke if she went to touch her you know used to went to go dip her like fingers in the holy water be like jeez don't touch that it'll burn you or like you know that kind of way or like you know if we'd have to do clean up on the Sunday and stuff like this be like jeez very Protestant looking around here uh, <laughs> but like yeah. there's those kind it's that kind of humour that like do you know what I mean it's what? stuff that probably happened locally but it wasn't until it was like normalised by yourselves that became like yeah, I mean, we, we touched on a, accidentally we touched on a great formula which was basically that there was stupid jokes like that there were larger than life characters really larger than life there were slightly cartoonish characters I accept that 
but there was betting, there was also betting political satire. There was stuff that you you literally couldn't get get away with saying in a, in a serious program that we were able to get away with because comedy is a great vehicle for that. Comedy is a way to, to to disarm people. And if you're laughing, you know it's very hard to get up and punch somebody. If you're laughing, you know you have to be quite angry to punch somebody. So when you're pissing yourself off, you go, oh, and then you go, hold on a minute, what the fuck did he say? <laughs> so I mean, we hit upon this formula, which we we were so lucky that we we had a show that had literally mummy, daddy, granny. And you know, sitting down to watch it, I get the, like I did a gig there last week with Shane Todd. First gig I've done in six months, what do you know? And he he's born in 1988, and I go, fuck me, I was still I was all jokes at his age when he was born. Uh, but he said, yeah, he he was kind of brought up with this, which is a great compliment. Uh, you know, I'm delighted to have it. You know, but it was partly by accident, partly by design, partly by the, the BBC to be fair to them taking a risk because they hadn't literally done comedy in literally 20 years, and they said, okay, well, let's try this out and see how it goes. And they backed it on time, but you know, eventually this has became the, the, one of the most successful programs I've ever done. Give me a piece, literally through the roof. Everybody was, it was getting sort of 50% audience share, which is just ridiculous stuff. You know, it was getting beaten East Enders and all that sort of stuff locally. I look, locally, obviously, but it nerve that. And it's also the characters as well that have also, there's a huge affection for them, which is very, and the, the reason for that is that there is, there's a basis in all of them. You know, there, there is, you know, that there are. They're like Uncle Uncle Andy's obviously an exaggeration of, you know, a lazy, bigoted, loyalist, feckless, good for nothing shyster. But there are people like that, and he's just exaggerated that in the, the Ma Da relationship. Yes, it's cartoonish, but at the same time, there are lots of marriages like that with eat the fucking guts of each other, and they fight all the time, and deep down, maybe they love each other. Those, so there's a basis in all of them, and I think that's part of the, the secret of the success of it. Yeah, and it's still going on. It's ridiculous. We, we genuinely years ago thought, well, that's it. It's had its day, you know. And we still pack out theatres on this. We're hopefully going to be later this year, you know, which is great. Jesus, yeah, that's it. Like, do you know what I mean? It hasn't lost any of the kind of stamina that it's had from the start. It still has such a loyal following. And as you said, like these things even happened before. Like, really, like it happened when I was kind of growing up. Obviously, that like give a headpiece stuff like this for Aaron, but like. Do you know what I mean? You still kind of see like the reruns and like different BPs and like bits of bobs like this as well that like it's still relevant and people are still able to like come back to it and you know fall back to that kind of humour. But what I was kind of going to ask next was like before this kind of career in comedy and media like tell us maybe my dad has a great way of saying and just to all my guests um, about character building jobs that they may have had growing up that maybe kind of informed, you know, people's humours uh-huh. and people's personalities that they had today. I don't know, maybe before you were a lawyer, before all the comedy, before all that, did you have any kind of particularly like character building jobs? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. I, 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 I've, I've two sons and one of them is very good has been out and do, he's the same age as you funny and he's been out working and he's, he's never stopped working since he was about 18 I was very lucky you do need to get out and see life I, I my first job was as a porter in the Matter Hospital student porter during the summertime in the early 1980s I was a porter in the Matter Hospital it was a fantastic job got a few bob and I learned to smoke play cards and swear like a trooper it was brilliant and they uh, <laughs> 
but you also learned you're in a, a large hospital. The crack was great all the time. The sense of humor of the porters was fantastic. You met all sorts of people of all ages. You met nurses and doctors and everybody and people coming to the hospital. And it was just a, a real education and an eye-opener as well for somebody as young. I was only 16 or 17 at the time about, you know, what working for a living was, you know, how people have to, you know, work all week and for not an awful lot of money. And, you know, you look at your future then and go, what, you know, how come the, the, the surgeons are earning <laughs> 10 times what he's earning and all that? And you, you appreciate it's a real, real proper education. And they were, that was only a summer job, but a real education. And then when I was at Queens, I did a couple of jobs. I volunteered for Oxfam. I worked for their furniture uh, shop collecting furniture so I was at the, I would, people would ring up and go they're emptying their houses and come and take away a, a, you know, a, a wardrobe and a set of drawers and beds or whatever. So me and Guys, we used to go around private houses and remove furniture, which was quite a heavy, bloody job, by the way. But I knew how to remove a, a double door furniture down a very narrow staircase with a. See, people with staircases with a little bend in them. Those people should be taken out in kneecap. It's really But that still sticks to me. Years later, or thirty years later, trying to bring bloody furniture out of narrow, very narrow staircases. But that jobs like that, I did a lot of that. Bits and pieces, uh, worked, volunteered in the law center in Belfast and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I did bits and pieces. Well, those are very important. Job. Work is very important. Even getting any sort of work at all, as soon as you're, 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 you can't do it, is, is very important. It is character building. You meet lots of people uh, and you, you learn the value of how to earn a crust and how to earn a bit of money. Yeah, I think that's what, like, it's one thing that I've always found very interesting between the people I've chatted to, even the likes of Diona, where you're chatting away and being like, but what did you do beforehand? Like, did this, like, kind of inform the bits that, like, later became, you know, parts of your comedy and parts, you know, your stand-up and stuff like this as well? And she has gone like, oh, God, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, people come out with, like, the wildest stories. Like, she's saying that she just learned. She's like, I knew that I could act black my way through anything because she used to, like, she was in a call centre and all, like, and it's yeah. that, like, bits and pieces of knowledge that you pick up from everywhere as you go along that like you know like it isn't until later on that i mean as you said like geez if if, if ever need anything moved out of the place i know who to call now <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but in the and the, the porter in the matter hospital you also learned about audiences which is very important because the porters that was 99% in fact it was 100% male dominated you know and they had their own hut and they all had fags and stuff like that but their their humor their humor was very dark and a little rude sometimes, you know. And if you repeated those jokes to other people in the hospital, sometimes you get a clip around the ear and you go, "All oh, right, I understand now the difference between an audience here. What is my who's my joke aimed at? Who is the audience who is likely to receive this? I might tone this joke down for the nurses up here or for when I see the you know some of the patients online. And it's very very important. And but the great guys as well, and we're really very very welcoming to me. Even though I was my dad was a surgeon in the Hospital, so I got the job blatantly through blatant nepotism. Basically, congratulations! <laughs> just you know, the job interview. Can I just check your name's McGarry? Well done on having the name McGarry have the job. Literally, is it was fucking that far off that? In fact, the first day I learned a very important lesson as well. I joined a union because you had to join the union then. And the very first day at work in 1981, in the middle of July, there was a strike. And uh, I started work at half eight and was on the picket line at 25 to nine. Uh, <laughs> and at 11 o'clock, I was 17 years old. At 11 o'clock, I was in McElhatton's bar in, in, in the bottom of Donegal Street having a six, six other porters. <laughs> <laughs> You're going like, this you is know. great. This is working, is it? Yeah, couldn't be in for this. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Just, yeah. As I say, just playing cards, having fun, being like, Frank, you know what? Like, I don't know why everybody's carrying on about this. Like, that's a great job to me. It's like, do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. guys, are we doing another strike tomorrow? Fuck, that'd be class. It's like, that'll take us on to the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And also the other thing is, I, the work of all shape or form is, I come from a fairly middle class Catholic background, North Belfast, and I come straight from school, and all my mates were Catholics and all that. You go to the Matter Hospital, the porters completely mixed, completely different views, and you get your eyes open, you go, oh, hang on a minute, yeah, not everything I say and think is right. There's another point of view here, and that's a very, very important lesson, because people, I'm, I'm a massive advocate of integrated education and all that, because I think, that despite all the stuff, on the, you're a child of the troubles, we still live in a fucking divided society, we're children are separated at school mm. and you can go through your life even today you can go through your life virtually without meeting people from the other side you, you live in an area that's virtually 95% one side or the other you can go to school without meeting somebody from the other side that's ridiculous anyway I've spent a high horse high horse is off <laughs> I've, I've taken the high horse out and put a Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fascinating. Like, I think, like, that's, like, as you said, like, do you know what I mean? But you have there, everybody, I feel like, has to go through, the, through these kind of, like, grinds and stuff like this to kind of learn a bit, not even just about the world around them, but kind of about themselves to inform themselves. Sure, that's yeah. kind of half the reason that I started up this podcast because I was going, like, do you know what? I'm fucking 22 and I still probably know piss all around about myself. So I may as well talk to some people that may know a bit more and hopefully that'll be informative <laughs> to myself like um but like i suppose from that like as you said like that informed like different kind of like you you learned about audiences you learned about characters whatever like this but i suppose coming back to now where you are today as you said you're still writing you're still writing this wave of comedy and you're doing stand up there and everything like i mean just like the other week was it as well like it, it sounds like you're it's so eclectic between the amount of content that you're constantly producing. Like, geez, I have no idea how you do it. Like, I, that's why I get people on. So they give them all the content and I just have to sit back and go like, yeah, that's great. But like, yeah. <laughs> what does an average day like look like for yourself? Like, is there, is there even like any day that's the same as the next or like, how does it all work for yourself? Cause. Like, that's that's the real the real joy of my job is that there, there is no day that is the same and we've you're right we've been very very lucky i do stand up on my own i do things like a history program on radio also with david hume of the orange order called uh, the long and the short of it which is you know quasi it's a humorous show but it's mainly about irish history we do the sketch of a perforated ulster i do the blame game and then we do give me head peace and they all come in different they're, they're in different sort of formats and different styles so you know i, I could be doing like Today we're sitting writing, give me a hit, writing that today. We're hoping to do, hang on a second, what do you want? Well, you can come in and get the money on a pork. <laughs> My wife's just come into the room to get her keys. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the camera now, Jesus. <laughs> she, she didn't like that, sorry. This isn't being broadcast, you're all right. <laughs> Don't worry, it's just audio, you're grand. Like, yeah, sure. all, people, all people could know I could be naked right now. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for legal reasons we're uh, definitely not yeah if anyways listen <laughs> yes <laughs> okay, a very different kind of call <laughs> oh god fuck what they mask well as you said I mean no we tend to see him then no uh, no, no, I, 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 I've got a, I've got a, we've got a lot of variety, and I think the 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 nice thing as well for the, the core of the business is me and Damon and Michael, 
uh, Damon Quinn who plays Cal and Michael McDowell who plays Billy. So we're the core of the Hole in the Wall gang and we do we do all the writing ourselves and we do all the trying to sell our stuff. I do stuff on my own. Michael and Damon are technical side of it. Michael directs a lot of our stuff. I have no interest in the technical side of it whatsoever. I have no idea how technology works. I have no idea how a radio works. I have no idea how a camera works or anything like that. I have not the slightest bit of fucking interest in it either. And this is a miracle to me. This this seeing you now and talking to you now is a complete miracle to me. I have no interest interest in that side of it so and then we got into the production side of it so I was kind of left you know kind of doing nothing so I thought I, I maybe do a bit of, try a bit of stand up and so I've done that on the side uh, which has been great I really enjoyed it as I said I was doing my first gig there in six months with Shane Todd in the limelight which is brilliant you know I forgot I did two sets I forgot how to do it the first set 20 minutes ago look at how you how does this fucking go? You stand with a microphone, your brain just didn't gel, you know? It took about 10 minutes to get into it. And then the second set, I did, all right, I'm back now. It's okay. I'm back on the horse. It's all good. Uh, so I do a bit of stand-up, do a bit of uh, history programming and stuff like that, which is great to have that, that nice variety. I think the thing is, if you keep you keep the variety, I mean, they, they, can't, they can't shoot you, you know, if you keep moving... <laughs> <laughs> so you can't go where the fuck's he gone he's doing what's he at now <laughs> get rid of him off that program and then I go fine and then I pop up on another one and they don't fucking know what I've done <laughs> can't that, catch me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's also a must that you're just enjoying doing all these different things you're essentially just dodging bullets for me absolutely <laughs> <laughs> there's a lovely old gentleman in the in the BBC uh, Walter Love Walter Love does jazz Walter's, Walter's in his 80s now and Walter has is been there literally since he was about 20 or something and I bumped into Walter one day in the BBC and I said Walter how's it going he said it's fantastic Tim they don't know I'm still here <laughs> <laughs> I thought, that's the career you want <laughs> I'm part of the wallpaper now it's great yeah, <laughs> Keeps in the contracts, yeah. I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long as I keep like sending in those invoices, yeah, this just automatic at this stage. Like, but um, I suppose like you've kind of t- touched on there as well, like the big things that you've done, and like managed to be able to squeeze your way around into all these different like areas that, like, obviously, there's like it's it's amazing to me, like that it's you've been able to like anybody's you know p- could be so well rounded to be able to apply themselves into different things but from all of that that you've done so far um because you're still a spring chicken i mean you've got loads ahead but like has there been like any major standout moments that have came from your career that like you never imagined could have happened otherwise like are there any kind of things that you look back and you went like jesus that Fucking who, who, who let me on there? Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple. the first time you stand on the stage of the Grand Opera House and perform, and that is 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 a very special moment. And that's happened in the late 1990s. And the the Grand Opera House is still one of those iconic theatres. You just go, oh, this is this is what, and it's such a beautiful room to play. And we've now done the Opera House virtually every year for the last 15 years. But the first time you're on that stage and a thousand people are right there, and you go, fuck, you crap yourself. But it's just such a Gorgeous theatre, beautifully raw, really, really. And I, it, it, it was one of those moments you go, oh, I think we've arrived here, you know. And the, it, you know, it was still early days in our career, but it was one of those moments you, you think you've arrived. And then, funny, in 1995, we won the Sony Award. Oh, sorry, we won the, the RTS Award. 
Royal Television Society Award for two ceasefires in a wedding, and we were in the Grosvenor House Hotel with you know literal mega stars and stuff like that, and uh, including uh, Caroline Ahern, who was Mrs. Merton at the time, and just I was in the same room and wandering around, half pissed with me. I'm the same as you, Caroline. Oh, I won an award. <laughs> we won best regional program for two ceasefires in a wedding, and you're in the same room as these you know people on the TV all the time and we go we just made a wee program in Northern Ireland didn't think much of it and now look at us so I mean, there are moments like that and it's surprising when, when you win an award something uh, it's it's. but we won the uh, the Royal, the uh, Celtic Media Award for Perfect Ulster for the best radio program in Scotland and I genuinely genuinely didn't expect to win and uh, I was beside a senior mid Ulster and I turned to her and went fuck <laughs> what shut <laughs> up Filming this, <laughs> so yeah, it's things like that are, are, are just lovely. And big gigs as well. We did the the um, the uh, Derry City of Culture. We did the, the there was a, had a big tent in Erbington Barracks, and there was a, there was a comedy night with about I think it was about two and a half three thousand people. And when you go on the stage there, you went, oh wow, that's a, that's a big crowd. I haven't played a comedy crowd like that before, and it was just lovely. <laughs> yeah, like Jesus. No, I think. Yeah, like those are fucking huge standout like moments as well. Like it, it was funny when you mentioned about the RTS. Um, I would actually be part of um like their youth committee. Like I would have like run that for a wee while. But um, similarly, I like it was. <laughs> it, it's funny. I'm just like spotlighting some parallels. But um, at the where where they do it now, it was like at the Mac. But um, I remember I was in my first year Tertiary University, and I was obviously coming down for Colerain and being like, right, stay at Borders tonight. I heard there's free drink. Um, and then you're walking around these rooms, and like, I mean, at least you had something to be like nominated for. At the time, I was just going around being like, this is great. I haven't had to like pay for a drink in a while. I'm walking past like, you know, everybody around here. I was, I, I was actually, you know, different people even like known stuff like this. I thought that's what you're going to say was one of your proudest achievements getting blocked by him. Um, funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, can I just say that he richly deserves every single penny he gets and I'm not jealous at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, of course not. And broadcast. He, he, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Freaking worth it. He we're deserves a price if you ask me. He should deserve. He gets more. He should get more money. Anyway, that's not good. Cool, <laughs> but I suppose that probably leans quite quite nicely into. Um, maybe do you have any particular from these standout amazing things that have happened so far? As you said, being on these huge stages with like amazing crowds. Have you had any horror stories from working in comedy? Because everybody always likes to talk about, you know, oh, it's amazing, got to this. But you know what? Like, I think there's been, like, everybody kind of has those times where they kind of go like, Christ fucking hell, like, how did I get, yeah. like, into this mess? Like, I, just, I mean, you don't have to disclose anything, but be, I, I mean, I'd be... I'd be ripping if I didn't ask you. Like. But no, no, back, backstage at the, at the, at the, at the uh, at a comedy gig is where you hear the best horror stories. Comedians like to share their worst their worst gigs ever. Uh, Kevin Bridges tells a brilliant story. We're talking about hecklers and the worst story, worst gig you've ever done. And Kevin Bridges said when he when his early when his early career he did a gig in Berlin for the prisoners and said the front row was full of life prisoners, full of lifers who were there for life. And he said halfway through his act, this lifer just got up from a seat and went back to his cell. <laughs> How shit is my act? I'd rather go back to my fucking cell and listen to this. <laughs> uh, my, my worst one was I did a corporate, I stupidly did a corporate uh, down in a very fancy castle down south for a bunch of English people uh, and then, oh, it 
did not work. I was booked by a person from Belfast who knew me and knew what I, what I did. Uh, and I, it was for a bunch of English people who were over celebrating some big, but they were rugger buggers who really wanted, they genuinely kind of wanted Roy Chubby Brown and, and a stripper. And they got me. And I, and I I had to do 20 minutes and the first two minutes I went this is gone I was dying on my hole and I thought you know what they were annoying me so much I went fuck you I'm going to do all 20 minutes just to annoy you and there was a, an English, uh, there was a this woman who booked me and two other people over there who loved it and there were 70 people there who fucking were, were literally ready to fucking punch my lights in because they hated me and everything I did but you, you learn from gigs like that you need to judge and you need to, you need to, you need your agent to tell you whether or not it's going to be an easy gig or a good gig, and find out who your audience is. Uh, but you know, the, where, apart from that, I mean, the thing about the, the, a long, a long career, we've had, we've been very lucky to have a long career in this business. But the thing you need to get used to, and we've had it every single step of the way, is rejection and people going, "You're a shit, and this isn't working," or "Why?" unit or you're not funny he's funnier than you and blah blah and you need to have a very thick skin to uh and not take yourself to see at the bar we're quite lucky in that there's three of us in a group so we can kind of group hug and go you know when one of us gets just dispersed and going and wants to put the, the windows into the bbc we, we calm them down and go no no we won't <laughs> you're like back uh, to the cell go on <laughs> we do and genuine and, and you know but, but you just you genuinely need to have a very thick skin and not to go all right just because one person doesn't like me means that nobody likes me and my, my work is no good or whatever I mean, we've always done live work at the we are through our agent david hall who's been brilliant and really backed us at the very very start so we always knew we could tell jokes to a live audience of northern ireland no matter who they were where you put us in front of we could entertain a lot an audience in northern ireland a live audience and that gives you the go well we actually know what we're doing we know where the jokes are we know where the laughs are we better than the people who you know who, who maybe are commissioning stuff and uh, we we kind of can judge it slightly better than them having said that i don't know BBC are the, are, are the only people in Northern Ireland who, who, who would have made our, and they made our career entirely. They're the only ones who, who invested the money and took the risk and have taken the risk and have been very, very supportive of us. I'm not, I'm not dissing them at all. They've been very, very good to us. But you also so genuinely... They're not listening. That's okay. You can, no, you can say you have, <laughs> no, but genuinely, you have to, you have to get used rejection you have to get used to going the, the idea that you think is absolute genius they just don't don't even bother to read it and fuck it in a pen that happens you know and just you've got to suck it up and get on with it and you know try your next gig sure that's the beauty of this nobody's been able to tell me that shit so far so i've just carried on with whatever well, you know kind of, like, <laughs> where, where do i do the review for this <laughs> Funny enough, um, Apple Podcasts, you can get us on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. But, like, that, like, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, I suppose, like, I never would even register that, though, know, there are many horror stories because you see these people and you see, you know, people like yourself and other people that are well known, like, um, within the kind of like comedy and like on TV and on radio and stuff like this. And you go, like, Geez, these lads must be having the life of it, you know, that kind of way. Oh, but, um, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's not until, you know, you start kind of chatting to people like yourself and then you kind of realize, like, no, it doesn't matter where you are, you're still going to get, you know, somebody being like, ah, fuck off, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, no, no matter what, they always get arseholes everywhere, you know, genuine. Yeah. And, and, and the comedians are, there's a lot of egotism as well. Uh, I, think, if, if, I think it was Kevin Bridges again, told this great story about him doing a 10,000 seater stadium and there was a massive, uh, uh, there was a, a standing ovation at the end of it. I walked off stage. There was a guy with his arms folded, looking very glum. And he said, there were 10,000 people telling me I was a genius. 
well, that fucker annoyed me. <laughs> that one guy out of the 10,000. And he said, I spent the He's going, why? What was wrong with him? Why did he not laugh? And, and all like that. And you go, what's, why did I not play? What, 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 what is, what, what's wrong with him? Why is he not joining in? And you don't know what's happening in his life. You know, he just texts saying bad news. You get cancer or something. You <laughs> or maybe he was deaf and didn't hear a bloody word. You don't know what the hell was happening. Uh, but feel, feel this sense of need for up, uh, which is why we take rejection quite badly. Which is why we need to learn to, to, to take rejection a lot better. But they do take rejection quite badly, and they need they need the the love of of strangers, which is you know obviously a character default. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if anything, keeps you humble. Like that's what I always go with. Yeah. <laughs> The Northern Ireland very good at that. Keeping you home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe me, that's, that, that's why I'm down in Dublin now. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I thought I'd, uh, <laughs> I thought I'd run away from it. I was being like, oh, fuck that shit. <laughs> well, I'm not afraid to tell you. It's Star Wars. So, right, big lad, what a pretty. I saw your show the other night. All right, you enjoyed it. No, it was a bit shit, to be honest with you, you know. <laughs> but it's just friendly, like, you know, just thought giving you pointers, you know. <laughs> You're like, cheers, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, real supportive. But I suppose, like, from there, like, you've obviously been, like, you're saying you're moving kind of, like, into bits of comedy and you're still writing stuff as well. But what does the future hold for yourself? Is there, because you've been going on for so long um, with, you know, different bits of comedy, is there a five-year plan or, like, any goals that you haven't achieved it that you're still kind of like, fuck, that's, that's one that, like, is on the bucket list that I really want to get, yeah. like... We uh we're we're too old now, but we 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 need to get something successful on the network. We would like to get something away on the network. I mean, give me a piece is ginormous locally, and if it's the same scale of what of success we had here locally or nationally, it would be you know a different world. We've had a couple of goes at stuff on Radio Four and Radio Two, with a few series on Radio Two, but we never quite gelled it. We never quite hit it. We have a couple of ideas bubbling under, including radio stuff and a possible sketch show that we're working on. That we we might not even be in because we're we're now at that age where you know that uh, ageism kicks in. You know, younger people are and uh, sexier people are. are Probably better than doing stuff than us, but you know, conceive the thing and write it, and um, to get something away on the network. Apart from that, we like to make sort of quirky documentaries. We're making one at the moment, serious stuff. We're doing stuff about Oscar Wilde and Edward Carson. We're making a documentary about the parallel lives of Edward Carson and Oscar Wilde, uh, and we like history shows and bits and pieces like that. Looks like Give Me Head Piece is going to come back, uh, and the the, the other of the long term plan in this business is just to survive. And if you can survive <laughs> in this business, you know, as long as we have, you know, you've done pretty well to be honest with you. <laughs> if you can, <laughs> Yeah, we're still kicking in there, and for we we had a we had a period where we were kicked belly and stuff, which was a bit hard. But you know, when we maybe we're not funny anymore, but it looks like we still are funny. Yeah, no, like I suppose that's it as well. Like as, as everything's kind of changed as well, even how people are like you know consuming these kind of com- bits of comedy and stuff like this, which actually leads me on to um, actually I. Don't know um, if you use Instagram that much, but uh, that's what how I usually. If there's any po- people coming on for podcast, I would send out saying if anybody has any questions they want to send in. Um, but that was uh, that kind of leads me on to one of them was actually saying we'll give them a headpiece beyond you know try to get them onto that like online sphere and this whole you know Netflix and say stuff like that because yeah. even now like Frig, I can't think of like 
the last time where I sk- sit down for like scheduled proper broadcasts and like yeah, it, 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 it seems. I'm the same. Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, and audiences for television programs actually going down, but at the same time, bizarrely, stuff we have done years ago has come back and revived itself online. There's stuff we did. We did a sketch show years ago called Dry Your Eyes, uh, which is several fairly successful characters. And they've had literally a new life online because people keep telling me, I saw this sketch you did about Eric the Linfield fan and uh, who was this rude man who stops Al-Qaeda taking over an airplane with his catchphrase as a by fucking And <laughs> there, there, there's millions of hits online and, and you know, they're, they're spread on WhatsApp and stuff like that. And I go, oh, I'm delighted to hear that. So, there is still a rule for television. You need the television broadcasters to put the money in to make high quality stuff that is going to go online. But give me a hit. There are clips that do the rounds without having to watch the full half hours. Um, still a rule, I think, you know, for the broadcaster. I mean, I'm, I am I do a lot of Twitter and Facebook and stuff. I don't, I don't do Instagram because I can't work it for some reason. Uh, but I, do, <laughs> I go on Twitter a lot to try and uh, I test out jokes it's quite a good place for testing out jokes uh, though it's interesting you can joke on Facebook and get completely different reactions which is weird sometimes I get a Twitter joke and I go this is genius this is going to go through the roof and it gets a hundred likes or something and then you put it on Facebook and it gets thousands and you go what the hell happened there and what the, yeah you know? I was going to say because like obviously you're saying about like you know technology like you're not really even like that bothered about whatever like this but like I was going to say like how's that been like translated into you know things like social media like my dad like he yeah like geez we just got him on like he we just taught him how to text there recently so like when we, when we tried to explain about like oh yeah like mum was setting up like a Facebook so she could like find friends and stuff and, like she just got Instagram but um like how have you kind of found that kind of different platform of testing out the humor because I know Twitter is definitely it's uh it's very informative like people will either like rip you to shreds or they'll be the yeah. biggest fan base and it'll protect you at all costs and then Facebook I feel like gets a lot of kind of like people that like do you know what I mean? I don't even know. I, th- I think it's just when they post up vi- like videos and stuff like this, people get tagged in something and something else rather than actually like saying like, you know, half their things, rather Twitter, they're very direct. They can see who you are and they're going like, I'll fucking tell you what to do. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been quite lucky and I haven't got much abuse. Everybody gets abuse on Twitter. You know, if you're in any vaguely in the public eye at all, you know, in any show that you put out, there'll be people going, that's not fucking funny. I mean, you, you just accept that. But I mean, it is quite good for trying stuff out because you can tell if a joke is worded correctly and whether it's phrased. Or, and I, I've done this a couple of times. I've out and it's not quite right and, you know, and, and it's got a, you know, a couple of dozen likes or whatever and I've gone, there's something not right with it. And I've, and I've done it out again later t- the first one, and then it gets hundreds and hundreds of likes, and it's a tiny little difference that they got. There's a one liner, Gary Delaney. I don't know if you know Gary. Have you heard of Gary Delaney? Yeah, Gary yeah. Delaney, he's probably famous because he's, he's, he's married to uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah, what famous? Sarah Delaney. Canadian. No, not Sarah. <laughs> Miss, Mrs. Delaney. <laughs> Sarah Millican. Sarah Millican. Uh, he's married to Sarah, but he's a one and he's a brilliant one liner comedian. And he literally, he did the blame game one time. He said, You literally can't, you know. A, a comma in the wrong place or the words the wrong way around can ruin a very, very good joke, but it can also make an absolute joke and keep quite a good discipline for that and making you use the minimum number of words possible to get to your point and to get to the gag as quick as possible. Uh, and I, I just for that, I never post stuff or anything like that on Facebook or Twitter because it just open yourself to 
some nonsense. Uh, but it's, you know, I've, I've, well, I've, 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 I can't work with Facebook, but can you get more than 5,000 followers? Is that just, you have to become a business or something? You can tell yes. me that. Cause All right, 7 Gs, I, I wouldn't fucking know, like, <laughs> just read about, God, can you get well, any bigger? God. A thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't realize I made, reached the max. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That sounded more arrogant than it. Yeah, yeah, but by the way, 37,000 on Twitter. Took me a while to work out, by the way. They're not all there waiting for their own 1,000 people. Come on! It's nine o'clock. Go for it, man. That's not how it works. <laughs> um, no, like, literally, I, I have also no idea. I mean, I've generally no fault in anything. Like, so, uh, I mean, I'm I'm still lucky enough where I'm pretty pretty naive when it comes to anything like that. Do you know what I mean? I get one, like, and I'm going like, Christ, God, Connor, you know what? You could be stand-up yet. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> But, <laughs> but I suppose I just realized I've probably been taken up like way more than time than I probably expected. But um, I do have one last question that did come from Instagram again. Uh, you'll be happy to know um, so that pe- people will start, you know, what I mean, like the, the Instagram start picking up for you soon enough. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, but this last one comes from um, a girl that I actually used to go to university with. And uh, she was asking, what is your favourite um, county to blame? Because she says you rip off Romana a lot and then she does a wee crying emoji. Um, <laughs> this softly reference. Romana? <laughs> I love Romana. <laughs> this softly, you know, blame game stuff like that. Like, yeah, w- w- what is it about Romana? Because you know what? Like, Arma, we seem to dodge you enough. Like, <laughs> no, no, I, I don't I know. I think she's wrong that I haven't taken the piss out of Romana. Romana's beautiful. You could frack for miles around Romana. It's fantastic. Uh, I... <laughs> I no, I, we love playing in a skill and we play the Ardoan every year. Great, great wee spot. Uh, and I don't know. I, 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 I'll be honest, we were quite cruel to Lauren and Lurgan, which has become the butt of jokes. And it's some of it's quite unfair. But because it's it's now got to the point where uh, everybody knows that it's unfair and it's become funnier because it's unfair. <laughs> during lockdown, you know, we all pretended. You know, during lockdown, we were going, we we're all going. You know what? When I when when life gets better, I'm going to change, and I'm going to I'm going to be a nicer person. I'm going to be kind to each other, and we're all going to love each other and be kind to the environment. And I said to myself, Do you know what? When this lockdown's over, I'm going to stop taking the piss out of Lauren. In fact, I'll tell you what. I'll even, I'm even going to go to Lauren. That's how much I'm. Going to, I'm going to, I love Lauren. I'm going to go to Lauren. And then we kind of eased, and we were able to go to the pub, and I went, "Fuck it, wasn't that serious?" Was it like it's only we man? No need to go to Lauren, like is it? <laughs> That's not yeah. hysterical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You came, you came to your senses again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we should stop me. Lauren and Logan are—it's unfair. But they, they, everybody has the other comedians have those. You know, all right. There, there's always comedians like to take the piss out of out of places that they they deem to be beneath them, which is unfair. Because uh, my good friend David Hume of the Orange Order, who I do this history program, he's a Larnian, and Olivia Nash who plays my wife, Ma, uh, and give me a piece. She's a Larnian as well, so it's kind of to wind her up, to be honest with you, because Lauren, Lauren's actually quite nice. <laughs> Don't say it too loud, jeez, I might, I I might get some notions on them. So I'll edit that part out, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know what happened? Last, I'm saying that last year, you can tell how far Northern Ireland has come. We've, we've now equal marriages. They, they had a gay pride march in Larn last year. In Larn, they had a gay pride march in Larn. <laughs> you know, I'm not 
not surprised there are gay people in Lauren. I'm just surprised anybody's <laughs> proud of it. You know, that's all I <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You'd think they'd brighten it up, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? It's baby stuff, like, but <laughs> every little helps, really. At this, every stage, little like. helps, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but here, um, uh, honestly, I think I've fucking I've charged your like I've I've done more than twenty questions. Or you must be like. F- probably through a bottle of wine at this stage but um, <laughs> I literally like I, I don't have anything else to say and I don't think I can even ask you anything else at this stage but I just want to say like a huge thank you for coming on to the podcast this has been probably one of my favorite interviews so far just you I really appreciate you taking out the time and uh coming on and speak to some wee lad talking shite uh, no to yourself. yeah thank you so much for entertaining you're very very <laughs> welcome and the you, I'll be speaking to my agent and we will sort this out between us. <laughs> but um, if people, you know, want to find out, uh, give you some more abuse online, um, where can they get in touch? Um... <laughs> I've told you I'm not allowed any more friends on Facebook. <laughs> I'm, see, I'm, I'm, we don't even have a website. I'm on Twitter and stuff like that. You can chase me up there or David Holt Promotions. Ask him. He'll, he'll look after you. <laughs> if you want to harm me, I'm available for gigs. You know, paid ones. Connor, you heard of those ones? <laughs> Fucking, fucking pandemic on and I have to talk to you for nothing. Sorry, you're breaking up there. Sorry, Tim. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, no, that, that might be <laughs> No, here, like, that'll be perfect. Um, thank you so much again. And, a pleasure, um, mate. Here, uh, have a brilliant rest of the week. All right, I'll see you Good later, luck. sir. And, yeah, just uh, send your uh, invoice to David Hall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, see you later. All the best. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Interviews. If you'd like to support the podcast, please remember to give us a like, subscribe, share with your mates and follow me on socials. I'm on Instagram at Finterviews underscore podcast, on Twitter at Finterviews pod. And yeah, let me know who you would like to hear me interview next. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and I'll see you later. Bye.